listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, a podcast geared towards marketing professionals in higher education. This show will tackle all sorts of questions related to student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast, where each week we explore ideas and insights with marketers in higher ed that we admire. My name is Troy Singer, and I am one of the two hosts of this show. My co-host is Bart Kaler. And Bart, I was thinking that I don't acknowledge this enough, but you're working with colleges and universities with their marketing departments every day. So if you would, please give us a day or two in the life of Bart Kaler that's happened over the past week. Oh, well, thanks, Troy. I, I appreciate that. And it's been a pleasure working with you on this podcast. I think for for me this week, and I, I'm trying to kind of manage this, I end up having a lot of uh, a lot of Zoom meetings. And I, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm getting a little Zoom fatigue. But it's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be able to uh, build relationships with a lot of the colleges and, and have them just reach out and say, hey, we've got this idea that we'd like to talk with you about or Hey, we've had some challenges with uh, the way that we're doing something. I had a conversation today with a with a uh, client that's, you know, been utilizing a firm for for digital marketing, and and uh, we've done some digital marketing. I mean, certainly we we work with different uh, different schools in different ways, but uh, they were just curious about how we might handle something. So it's it's just a matter of helping and and kind of navigating as a partner with these different folks to just be able to help you know, help them figure out the best way to do their own higher ed marketing. And sometimes that's us helping and coming alongside some of, sometimes it's us giving some ideas of, of, you know, Hey, you ought to look into this or look into these other things. And I think that's part of what we'll talk a little bit with Suzanne today about. Thanks Bart. And you know, it's not a secret that I admire the work that you do as I get to see a lot of it as I execute it with print mail and some of the strategy that you put forth. And I thought it was good to try to spotlight it. And <laughs> now, as you, as you talked about Suzanne, I'll turn the spotlight to her. Today's guest is Suzanne Petrush. She's the Vice President for Enrollment and Marketing at Presbyterian College in South Carolina. And I know of her because of her Dayton roots, or she's done work here with the University of Dayton. And now she's doing dynamic work at Presbyterian. And as Bart knows, her school is a typical school that both of our companies work with. So we thought it would be good to highlight her and have some of the people that we work with listen on how she's doing dynamic things at Presbyterian. That's great. I'm excited to hear this conversation. So let's get started. Well, let's bring Suzanne in. Today's guest is Suzanne Petrush, Vice President for Enrollment and Marketing at Presbyterian College. She is welcomed into the Higher Ed Marketing Podcast Thank you, Suzanne, for joining us. Thank you so much, Troy and Bart. I am very excited to be here with you this afternoon. The reason why I reached out to you is the size of Presbyterian College. It's a typical college that both Bart's organization and my organization work with. And we felt it would be useful to just kind of look into your organization. I hear it's a high-functioning organization and see how your current marketing uh, department work. So if you would, if you could first give us a glimpse of your role in Presbyterian College. I came to Presbyterian College in 2016 and for all but a month and a half 
have served as the vice president for enrollment and marketing. And at this institution, that means the offices that are included in the portfolio are undergraduate admission, financial aid, and we serve undergraduate as well as our graduate students in financial aid, and then marketing and communications. We have the central office, and I know that today we're also going to talk about the specific enrollment marketing function. So PC is a very small institution. We have almost 1,300 total students, approximately 1,000 of whom are undergraduates. And so we are the smallest Division I school with a football program in the whole country. That makes us stand out in a different way, but it also puts some challenges in front of us. We're very much focused on the liberal arts, the personal attention delivered by the faculty, the student experience. So all of those things that one would be thinking about when looking at a marketing or marketing program within a liberal arts education, but also then raising the questions of how do we differentiate PC in the marketplace? How do we stand out to prospective students when we are a very small player in a market, especially in South Carolina, that tends to be dominated by two state flagship institutions and a number of regional publics. That's great. I think it's interesting as as kind of what you talked about, because I think you're right. A lot of folks that we know are kind of in the same place that you are, small to medium-sized colleges, a lot of them private like you are. And trying to differentiate not only from the publics, but also differentiate from the other privates, I think is, is challenging. And I kind of, you know, as you were kind of doing that introduction, heard you talk a little bit about the central marketing organization and how critical it, it, it is to kind of align because you're such a small school, how critical and necessary it becomes to align all of your marketing in a way that uh, can really um, impact the, the, the major driver of institutional revenue and growth is, is enrollment. So tell us a little bit about that central marketing organization, how it came about and, and how that's going. It had, as I understand, reported to enrollment at one point in time and went through a, a move that I would say is fairly common and was situated in advancement. And we made that shift again in 2016 so that I would have the opportunity to take a look at central marketing and how it really fits within the context of all of the needs of the institution with really only two primary sources of revenue, enrollment and fundraising. We're not the type of institution that has a significant number of alternative revenue streams. And when I took it on, we had four total positions in that office one of which was empty. So I had three people very dedicated to the institution, but trying to do a tremendous amount of work with not much in the way of resources. And so one of the big questions we had to to begin to tackle was, how were we going to expand that office's capacity at a time when we were writing a strategic plan and finding that one of the accepted pillars of the strategic plan would be sharing our story. So I always just cringe a little bit when I hear someone say this, but that idea of the best kept secret. And truly, it hasn't mattered the size of the institution where I've been or the relative market position. It's always talked about in the best kept secret. 
And I recently heard a candidate for a position on campus talking about his current institution as the best kept secret. So whether that was the actuality or not, we had to try to fight against that. And in many ways, that meant producing sufficient collateral in all forms and being able to tell stories that would resonate with various audiences from prospective students and their parents to other influencers in that college choice process through to current students and their parents, because we have to remarket the institution to them every day. We can't simply assume that they've enrolled and therefore they're going to have 100% satisfaction. Subtle reminders of why they chose this institution and what it means to be part of this community are so important to them. But then, of course, continuing on through that um, student to alumni lifespan spectrum, making sure that we have alumni and other friends of the institution, foundations, all of which see value in supporting the type of work that's happening here so that they're going to contribute to the institution financially and make future learning possible for students. Great. And so how big is your, your team right now? You said kind of when you got there, it was, it was three. Where are you at now? When I arrived, it was three, but there were four positions. As part of the strategic plan process, the then president made a financial commitment to expand the size of that marketing team. And so we actually grew by 50%. At our high in the central marketing office, we had a total of six individuals working there. Now, during the pandemic, we were looking very carefully at cost considerations for the institution. And so through attrition, moved to a total of five individuals. And we're currently in a state of flux, which we might might discuss in a little bit. But that central marketing office at its high had six individuals serving a variety of stakeholders on campus with the biggest outside of our area being advancement, but certainly campus life, academic affairs, the president's office, everywhere you look on campus, and then also partnering carefully with our colleagues in athletics. But there's such demand in the admission office. I will also share with you that we have now two people who are dedicated solely to enrollment marketing. And I would love to be able to continue that line of the conversation with you. Yeah. And and we'll get into that. I, I, I just want to clarify just a couple of things because I know that a lot of times I have uh, a lot of my clients ask me, well, you know, hey, we're a college, we're small, you know, we've got 1,300 students, we've got whatever it might be. What do other schools have? I mean, do they have like a graphic designer? Do they have a writer? What, how does that marketing team made up of? Are they investing in social media people? Tell me about this. these five or six people that you've had, plus the two additional ones that we'll get to about the pod. Okay. So if we look at the structure and keep it at the six, we have the executive director of marketing and communications, and then three people reporting to that director. We've gone through some various iterations of this, but we'll focus right there for now so that we have a director of digital marketing, a director of media relations, and then a graphic designer, formerly a director of creative services. 
The other two people have been situated under digital marketing so that we would have a digital marketing specialist whose primary responsibilities focused on social media. That can take up such an enormous amount of time, and it's not just a matter of going out and capturing what's happening that day. It really needs to be a strategic, planful exercise so that we have a full editorial calendar with it, but we also can be agile enough to be able to pick up of-the-moment happenings on campus so that we don't miss those things. So the digital marketing director had primary oversight of the whole area with special focus on the web, and then the team member working with her, social media, but certainly assisting with other things, including data analytics and looking at our efficacy in all of these efforts. And then the director of media relations had the content writer, which was one of our added positions, so that we could develop more stories to process quickly and to make sure that we were pushing those through the website and other venues. But you had mentioned the magazine in an earlier conversation, thinking about the types of in-depth stories that we would want to share in the magazine as well. And we actually keep those two people so busy, we could go with more people writing for the institution. And so we've been pulling in alumni writers, faculty writers who want to make contributions. It's really one of those opportunities that we want to harness the talents of others so that we can continue to tell those stories of the institution. Well, thank you for sharing that. Because I, I, like I said, I think that sometimes there's uh, people who say, well, I guess we need a webmaster, we need a graphic designer, we need a writer, we need a video person, we need, I mean, they, they can go through and segment every piece of digital marketing, every piece of regular marketing and and feel like I can't do that because I don't have a dedicated person. But it sounds like a lot of, a lot of the philosophy at PC is to be a little bit more of, you know, we wear a lot of different hats, we take responsibilities for what we're doing, and we, we lean into what we're doing as opposed to, you know, trying to be just so specialized that we can't reach across the aisle and help out. I think that's a fair characterization. Yes. Great. Well, we talked a little bit, you, you kind of were talking that you wanted to talk a little bit more about this embedded group within your admissions team. And I understand that you're kind of calling that the satellite marketing pod. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it, it really came out of my own experience at other institutions. And I think I've been pretty fortunate to always have a dedicated enrollment marketing team. And in fact, that was my own pathway. While I started as an admission counselor and moved up through several levels, I didn't become a director of admission. I became a director of, and the term used at the time was operations, but it really encompassed marketing in all of the related areas. And so it sits very close to my heart and my own interest. And I was able to use that uh, to propel myself into other leadership roles then. So I love the area. It really builds everything together for me. But in coming to Presbyterian College, I was watching what people in the admission team were actually doing and what their strengths were. And so someone who was with us was titled as an associate director of admission, studied at Presbyterian College, had a degree in English, was tremendously gifted and creative in the area of writing, 
And so he was doing a large part of this. I thought, let's recognize that in a specific way. We don't have to stay with this title of associate director of admission. He has an opportunity for advancement by being given a director title. And let's make sure that we're really drawing attention to the the skill set and knowledge base that he has with enrollment marketing. So he was the first person already physically embedded in the Office of Admission, having been a member of the team for a long time. So understanding the daily work and where some of the challenges are and opportunities in working with prospective students and their families and, and counselors and other audiences. And the volume of work was increasing significantly. And if you'd like, I can touch on why that was to the point where he said to me the other year, I really need another team member. I could use a graphic designer. And so we were able to fight for and add that position. But in hindsight, that title was very limited. And knowing what I know now, I would have started with a title along the lines of assistant director of enrollment marketing rather than graphic designer. That doesn't begin to really cover what this person's responsibilities are within the office. Yeah. And and what are some of those responsibilities? Because I mean, I know that you've talked about in our earlier conversations using video for a lot of outreach during the pandemic, but is that is that kind of what kind of came out of those those two embedded folks? Well, they working together have done a lot of the video. And I will tell you that that is not their background. So Someone in our central marketing team did study at the undergraduate and graduate levels video production, and we have been able to use his skills for all types of other videos on campus. But in the admission video world, we have partnered with a local provider in order to help us capture footage on campus and edit it with a somewhat tongue-in-cheek view in many cases of the admission process. So we are the blue hose. I didn't mention that when I was telling you a little bit about PC, but it is the, the name by which our athletics teams are known. And we have appropriated that to include all students at the institution. So that as we're describing that traditional liberal arts environment, What's this memorable piece that we can use and actually extrapolate from there what it means to see yourself on a path that might be different than what most of your friends are going to be doing in the next year? And we also know that the admission process is highly stressful. So if we can have some fun during this, still taking care of making sure they know the key points of how they'll benefit from coming to this institution but to make it fun and enjoyable and to provide an experience that's going to be memorable, we want to do that. And so we've tried to make that flow into the video as well through much of the editing, script writing, et cetera. So it's a combination of the talents of those two people in the admission office working with the actual uh, video skills of our local provider. That's great. I love how that partnership works out. And I that's something that we talk a lot uh, about on some of the blogs and things. So that's that's really good, and I really appreciate the the insight and all that. I think it's um, I think it's interesting too that your videos have been 
what I kind of you know term edutainment. I think that you know Generation Z they they want to be entertained as much as they want to be learning and educating. I think that's one of the reasons why YouTube is such a popular channel for for that particular generation. And so I love the fact that you've leaned into that and made made some of those uh, admissions you know process videos more a little bit more tongue in cheek and edu- you know entertaining rather than just making them oh this is the process this is how it's going to be because that's going to that's going to differentiate you by adding in a little bit of that entertainment and from what i understand from my focus group of four you know students at home my children you know two in college now and two still in high school they really want to be they they notice and they pay attention to those schools that are entertaining them as much as they're educating them so i appreciate you saying that so try i know you had a couple questions you wanted to kind of dig into yes and it was along the line of the video i know that they leaned into it this year and i think one of the reasons why is because of covid so we'd like to know if you could describe how that has made a difference in the way that you promote the school and do you see some of those changes lasting even after you're able to bring prospective students back on campus? So one of the videos that that we had created before we went through the big change at this time last year and having to be remote, not only in how education was delivered on campus, but in how we interacted with prospective students and families was an offshoot of the old MTV Cribs. And so we have PC Cribs. And it's funny because you can really feel now the timeline for the original show from which we so liberally borrowed, because sometimes I'll hear our admission counselors asking our visiting students if they're familiar with MTV Cribs, and they're not. Their parents (laughs) might be. They're not, necessarily. But the student we featured has such tremendous energy, and he, in fact, recently was a contestant on American Idol. So you can imagine the kind of entertainer that I'm talking about. He did an incredible job. And that actually was able to be repurposed because, of course, at this time last year, we weren't having on-campus visits. We reopened for visits in late August, early September, but we are limited in what we show. So it's not the visit of old where they're going in all of the key academic buildings and the dining facilities and the residence halls. We, in fact, don't take students in any residence halls right now. We want to be particularly respectful of those students who are living on campus and their health and safety. So as part of our admission presentation, We show this video and it allows people in a fun way to have a glimpse inside some of the residence halls, whether it's a facility they might live in right away or something they wouldn't experience, such as our newest buildings, our apartments, until they're perhaps in their junior or senior year at the institution. So we don't have to cover as much physical ground and we can also maintain COVID protocol when we show that. But certainly there have been other videos and we intentionally drive students to videos through other types of communication so that we're really looking at this layered approach and we'll soon be launching a new platform that will allow us, in fact, track who's viewing the video. So we'll have an opportunity to understand more about the students' viewing habits, what things are resonating, how that informs future production but perhaps more importantly, 
how can our admission counselors take that information and, of course, not say to somebody, well, I know you watched whichever video five times. A little creepy. A little creepy, yes. Too much big brother. But how can they take that information and begin to shape their conversation with their student about what they know that student's interests or points of concern might be? And we do that certainly with other things. Our digital stats, what are students doing on our website? How long are they staying? How often are they visiting certain pages? So it all goes to further inform the conversation and to hopefully make those conversations a much tighter part of that relationship building process that ultimately results in having a student come to PC as a future Bluehost. I love that. And I I love the fact that you are leaning into those analytics and, uh, and, and I, I love the fact that you're telling us all of this because, again, it goes back to, you know, a lot of the folks that I work with are, are small schools like yours, uh, almost identical in the dem- demographics as far as the size and, you know, under 2000 type. And so many times I think it's like, oh, we're so small. We're not a state university. We don't have a big department. But I love the fact that you are, you know, you're still doing a lot of really good things. I mean, utilizing the video, utilizing the statistics, analyzing what's going on. You're doing a lot of smart marketing. And that's a lot of what I try to encourage folks is to look at how you can be smarter with what you're doing. Yes, we all have limited budgets. Yes, we would all love to get to where we you know, think we need to be. But what can you do with what you have? And so I think I you know, applaud you and, and your team for, for doing that and doing that well. So, um, so tell me a little bit about... Um, you know, where, where you think it's going to go soon and, and uh, what your plans are here for kind of the next year or so. Well, I appreciate first you mentioning that team and I want to use this opportunity to, to thank them because I think that's a big part of the success that we have. And I could not sit in a room alone and, and do this without the people I'm fortunate to work with. And so part of this process is making sure that we build trust so that when they get some creative ideas and want to take some risks, I can give them the freedom to do that and to have a very good sense of what those results are going to be. So I think we need to continue to be risk takers. And COVID has probably changed things permanently. We've been fortunate to be in an environment where we could invite guests to campus again. But as I mentioned, They're not experiencing everything that they would have before the pandemic. We were in a great place to be able to very quickly offer online programming for students from our own information sessions to participating in college fairs and high school visits to one-on-one appointments. We still offer some of those virtual opportunities, but for For our type of institution, we feel strongly that the in-person piece works better. And we hope that we'll be able to return to that. But I think that in many ways, as institutions have cut travel budgets and looked at whether or not the big college fairs will return, we're going to have a blend probably going forward between that in-person experience and the delivery of virtual experiences for students. And we need to find the best ways to allow them to consume information at their own time. So even before the pandemic, we wanted to have not just a virtual tour, but a self-guided tour. I think the next piece of that you'll see is people who are able to do that with 
virtual reality goggles and how does that augment the tour and make it richer. So to the extent that we can focus our limited resources on things that are going to tell a richer story to those students, that's how we'll prioritize our personnel and financial resources. That's great. That's great. Suzanne, thank you so much for giving us such an in-depth and sincere look into what you're doing. And as Bart said all along, I think it's going to be helpful for a lot of our listeners who are wondering, are we doing things like others are, or even creating ideas of some of the things that they can look into and implement. And along that line, we end every episode of our podcast by asking our guests, is there a new idea or something intriguing either you're doing or something that you've recently read that you would like to share that might be helpful for others to implement here in the next 30 to 60 days? Oh, 30 to 60 days makes it (laughs) very (laughs) challenging. Uh, I have seen so many um, types, types of marketing tactics being looked at. For me, I wanted to get a much better understanding of how others are perceiving our brand. And instead of just looking at the aspects of social media, we can see engaging with a partner for true social listening. I think that that piece might be something that schools could look at in a short time frame to determine how those conversations are taking place, what the depth is, and to identify the types of holes they may be missing through their current capabilities to at least ask the question, is it worth investing with a partner to be able to have a much bigger picture of where we are as an institution in terms of our social presence? So that that would be one thing that would come to mind. It's something that we're engaged in now, and I'm anxiously awaiting the results. Yeah. And I just want to add to for the listeners is that Suzanne, you're talking about kind of these platforms, these listening platforms, which I think are great. Even as a as a short term, and you might already be doing this, Suzanne, is just going to Google and and uh, doing some Google alerts. So anytime there's a mention of your name, the school's name, you know, anything that has to do with the school, you can put in a something in Google that says anytime somebody mentions this, send send us an email. And uh, that's a really good way to at least be able to be aware of what's being said online about your institution in a way that is is better than being blind. And so, Suzanne, thank you for mentioning that. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate the question and wish we had many more hours to to continue to throw those thoughts together because the world of technology, I think, presents us with limitless opportunities. Yes. Well, be careful what you ask for, Suzanne, because Bart and I plan to do this podcast for a long time. So we may be inviting you back for a (laughs) second and third conversation, but we do really appreciate your time that you gave us today. You mentioned cool videos and a lot of other things. If someone wanted to reach you to get an in-depth look at what you're doing, especially those videos, if they are up there public, how would the best way for them to reach you be? Well, if somebody wanted to reach out to me, I would say that email would probably be the easiest opportunity. And my email address is the first initial of my first name and my full last name. So it's S-P-E-T-R-U-S-C-H at presby, P-R-E-S-B-Y dot E-D-U. 
I'm available on LinkedIn. They certainly are welcome to find my information on the school's website. And if they want to see some of those videos, beyondtheblue.org is our admission microsite. Perfect. Thanks again, Suzanne. We appreciate you offering your time and wisdom so we may share it with others. And as I end every podcast with our commercial, The Higher Ed Marketer is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education marketing and branding agency, and by Think Patented, a marketing execution, printing, and mailing provider of higher ed solutions. On behalf of Bart and I, thank you for joining us and your continued support of the podcast. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.